Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, multi-time PGA Tour winners, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. What's up, boys? Hey, Willie. What's up, Benjamin? Hey, boys. How's everybody's another week, weekend? Another week, another podcast. Let's go. Good weekend. Uh, was up at the Travelers. Um, everybody was chasing down Keegan Bradley. I was way back, just... Honestly, happy to be playing with no concussion symptoms. So, but now I'm in Detroit for the Rocket Mortgage. So it should be should be a fun week. I love this golf course. It's a Donald Ross golf course. Massive storm on Monday night. They they called it like an unofficial tornado, but it was probably a tornado. And tons of trees came down on the golf course. But thankfully, no one got hurt, and uh, golf course is still good. Man, well, I'm excited to hear more about that golf course. I know y'all have only been playing there a few years. Benji, what's up with you, man? Good weekend. You're out in Northwest Montana. Buddy, one of the greatest places on planet Earth, Whitefish, Montana. So our family loves it out here. Our kids, our big kids are in camp. Uh, so we got our little man crew, uh, but golf and pickleball and incredible weather and a little lake life. So I'm grateful to be out here uh, before I had the deer next week. It's tough to beat. Uh, as y'all know, my wife is from out there, so we get to do that each summer. And it's such a highlight. Uh, y'all tell me about Keegan Bradley just lapping everybody. Well, it's funny because, you know, last week when we did picks, I, I was between Keegan Bradley and Joel Damon and just. How did Joel do? I mean, I mean, you know, Webb told Joel that I picked him. I, I think he felt the pressure. Um, he did. So, he did. Yeah. When a guy uh, like you picks somebody like him. I mean, between you and Tiger, Ben, how many majors do y'all have? Uh, I think we have 17 together. Yeah. <laughs> Does that count in the USAMs or no? No. Uh, yep. You know, I don't like to count mine. I don't yep. think he likes to count his. Yeah. <laughs> yeah y'all got a ton between the two of you. <laughs> Buddy, 17, I feel like, you know, between us two, I mean, it's kind of hard to keep up. Right. Hey, Willie, Ben, here's the interest, interesting thing to me about Keegan. He went to the U.S. Open. He missed the cut. So I see him Monday at Travelers working with his coach. And that's why I love this game. I mean, we've talked about it, I think, on this podcast. There's so many tour winners every year who are either not playing well leading up to their win or they missed the cut the week before. I mean, there's a guy no one's going to pick Keegan, uh, except maybe Ben, uh, going into Travelers. And – he plays probably the best golf he's ever played in his life for 67 holes. I mean, one bogey and I think 27 birdies going into his first bogey on 13 or whatever. Um, So I love seeing that because, you know, for us golfers, sure, you want to play good all the time, but even when you're not playing well, you got to realize good golf could be the next week. Um, And I think what he worked on with his coach was like very small, a little subtle change and winner, winner. It's great. I love, I love two things about it. One, I love watching the kind of hometown win. I know he's from the New England area. That's super fun to watch. And then I love the emphasis that golf has on family. Like it's different than any other sport where you have the wife right there, the kids right there. It's something you see almost every week on the PGA tour. And it's just good for the soul to watch to watch that. It is good. Yeah. Quick correction. Tiger and I have 15 majors. I jumped ahead a little bit. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, it's easy to do when you're 
combined. Y'all had that. There's just so many of them, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, Weber, tell us about just any updates on PGA Tour life. Obviously, a lot of moving parts, a lot of changes in the works. Anything notable as things unfold? Yeah, we had a player meeting Tuesday of Travelers. Um, The temperature in the room was a lot cooler than Canada. I think guys have talked now for a couple of weeks about potential business opportunity of this new entity. Um, And I think, you know, all of us want to, all of us want Jay to be doing okay and his health to be good, but we, you know, we would really would love to hear from him or from his team, just more of, you know, we need a leader. We need a solid leader leading us. And uh, we have an official PJ tour board meeting today where we're going to be discussing um, this new entity called NUCO. Um, and will there be a road back for the lift players? If so, how long, what will the penalties be like? There's so much that will go into this new deal and new partnership that it's going to take time, but we don't, we do have a definitive deadline, which is December 31st. So as of right now to the listeners, litigation is over and the recruitment period of PJ tour players to live cannot happen. So no PJ tour players will go to live between now and December 31st or the deal is off and then no more litigation. So um, I think we're in a good spot. Uh, but you know, this is my first year on the board. So I've been to one board meeting in March. This is my second. Um, there's going to be some, some tension, some heat in that boardroom, I'm sure, but I love all the independent board directors and they've been great to work with so far. Man. Well, thanks for being in there. I know you're doing important work for a lot of people. You got it. All right, boys, tell us about Detroit. Tell us about this golf course, what to expect, and then we'll move to picks. Well, I've never Maybe. played there, so <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you. Nothing. I thought you were leaning in to talk. Uh, so, Detroit Golf Club has five par, or sorry, four par fives, which is fairly abnormal for a PGA Tour tournament. Uh, Donna Ross design, so small undulating greens, a lot of dump offs on the sides and the front. Um, you know, it's a course where I think Bryson shot twenty four under or something a couple of years ago. So scores are low. Um, but very traditional tree line, some rough. Um, I really do enjoy this place, but we, we got dumped on on Monday with rain a little bit more this morning, but it's going to warm. It's going to be warm all week and, and windy. So it should firm out, but it is a great golf course and it doesn't really favor one guy over another. Um, so I'm thankful for that. Thankful that it doesn't favor a bomber. Yep. Um, well, let's, let's go to picks. Who's everybody got? I feel like, uh, Ben, did you pick first last week? No, I went last. Okay. Well, then why don't you leave us? Okay, I'll take, uh, I'll take Justin Thomas this week. I feel like he's been striking it great, and uh, the putter's starting to warm up. Good pick. Weber, who are you going with? I'll take Slick Rick Fowler. Guy's a good one. And he just, you know, he's such a savage off the golf course making business deals, and Rocket Mortgage is one of his big yeah. ones. It just fits, doesn't it? It does. He's playing great. He had three top tens in a row and then 13th last week. So he's on a nice run. Okay. I think I'm going to go Tom Kim. Good one. I like that pick. I like that pick. Yeah. Your boy Gordon Sargent's in the field, Willie. It's awesome. Back to back for him. Yeah. How do you play last week? 
No, he's playing next week. He he uh he played U.S. Open and was low man. Play solid. So. All right, boys. We're we are in our fifth and final week asking why did Jesus die? Um, his entire life had been moving to the point of his death. It was the reason why he came. And so we saw in our first week that Jesus didn't just die; he was killed. And then we saw in our second week that Jesus wasn't simply killed. He was laying down his life. And then we saw that Jesus wasn't just laying down his life. He was fulfilling scripture. And then last week we saw that Jesus was not simply fulfilling scripture. He was taking our place on the cross. He was bearing the punishment that we deserve for those who believe Jesus's death saves us from God's judgment, which we all deserve for our sin. And this week, we get to peel back one more layer, and we're going to see that God is not simply saving us from something. He's saving us to something. Jesus was dying for us to show us God's love and to extend God's grace to us, all for his glory. So that's where we're going today. It's such good news. Um, And we're going to primarily get there through four short passages, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 5, 1 John 4, and 1 John 5. And so... Weber, why don't you pray for our time? Then Ben, you can read our first little paragraph. It's going to be Romans 3, 21 to 26. You got it. And thank you listeners for listening. Uh, Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to get in your word. Lord, it is literally, it's you speaking to us. Um, So Lord, let us just humble ourselves, submit to what you're saying, get under your scripture. um, And I pray that these words would change our life, um, small ways and big ways. And so pray for discernment and wisdom as we look at these passages and that fruit would come of it, that listeners would be encouraged in their faith, that they would be encouraged with how much you love them, that their eyes would be opened to the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, buddy. Amen. All right. The righteousness of God through faith. Uh, Romans three twenty-one to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law through the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Awesome. Well, this is that paragraph uh, that we talked about last week that our boy Murray Harris would choose over any other paragraph in the Bible. Uh, The importance of this paragraph can't be exaggerated. It explains what was happening when Jesus dies. Uh, it tells us how we can be made right with God. There's just, there's not more important news than this paragraph. Um, and right in the middle of this paragraph is that big word we looked at last week. And what's that big word we looked at last week? Propitiation. Propitiation. Yep. And what does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ was our substitute. He took our place. Yes. It's the removal of God's wrath through a substitute, right? So God substituted Jesus Christ for us. And on the cross, Jesus bore the wrath that we deserve. Um, I thought this week about this John Stock quote that I just love. And I thought it fit here to read. So let me read this quote from John Stock. 
He says, the concept of substitution may be said to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Wow. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Wow. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. That's so good. How good is that? That is awesome. It's so true. true. It just shows the wickedness of man and the loving heart of God. Yes. This is Romans 5, 8. We just can't, I just can't believe that what God did, he did for sinners like us. Yes. And dude, that's, that's exactly where we're going today. So you've set us up perfectly. Um, Interestingly, after this uh, explanation that God put forward Jesus as our substitute, uh, in verses 25 and 26 of Romans 3, two different times, it tells us why. This was to show what? God's righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness. So let's just start with that. It's kind of a um, reminder of what we talked about last week. But in what way does the death of Christ show God's righteousness? Because God is so righteous and holy, he cannot allow sin. And so he has to punish sin if he's good and righteous. Yes, exactly. And by putting forward Christ and punishing Christ in our place, it's a demonstration to the world of the righteousness of God. He will not tolerate sin. He must punish sin. And he's doing it in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, but William, William, take us through like, in 26, where it says that, that he's the ju- he's just and the justifier. I mean, it's just like such an important, you know, four words right there. Oh, totally. And we're going we're gonna to deep dive on this in a few weeks from now, which I can't wait. But the, the short answer, I think, is God is just. The cross shows God to be just because it shows he's committed to punishing sin. Mm-hmm. Justice has been executed. Sin has been punished. But in the same act, he becomes the justifier. He's the one who, through the sacrifice of Christ, can now look at sinners and declare us to be righteous. We can be justified in his sight because of the work of Jesus Christ, our substitute. I mean, that's the best. It is, isn't it? And and it leads us right to where you were pointing us, Ben, in Romans chapter 5. And that's where I want to turn now. Um, God's not just showing his righteousness at the cross. He's also showing us something else about himself. So let's look at these sweet three little verses, Romans 5, 6 to 8. And Weber, you read those verses for us. Okay. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. So what do these verses say that God shows through the death of Christ? That he died for not good people, not his family. He died for the ungodly, for sinners. Yes. He, and died, doing for that, his, he died for his enemies. Exactly. Which is exactly what verse 9 says. We stopped just before that. And, and in dying for his enemies and dying for the weak and the ungodly and the sinner, what is he putting on display? His love for us. His love. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
John Piper makes the great point in this little book, The Passion of Jesus Christ. If you want to like study more about this topic, this book is a perfect place to start. Um, but he says uh, about this passage, he says, the measure of God's love is shown by two things. One is the degree of his sacrifice and saving us from the penalty of our sin. The other is the degree of unworthiness that we had when he saved us. Mm. So let me kind of pose this in the form of a question. First, if God's love is measured by the degree of his sacrifice, who is it that God sent to be sacrificed on our behalf? His one and only son, the most valuable thing in the universe to himself. Yeah. 100%. Jesus Christ, God, the son, the second person of the Trinity. That's who God gave. The perfect son, not just a son. It's the perfect, as you say, William, like the spitting image, like he perfectly resembles the father and reflects him with his glory. Yes. And, and love is measured by the value of what it gives. There's nothing higher that God can give than his own. Right. Right. But his love is also shown in who he died for. And Webb already pointed us here. So who is it according to verses six through eight that he died for? He died for the ungodly. Yes. For the weak, for the ungodly, for the sinner. And and according to verse nine, let's just refresh on last week. What do the weak and the ungodly and the sinners deserve? See right The wrath of God. The wrath of God. And yet Christ, God, the son died for real sinners. And and I just want to like slow down and encourage the listener right here. We're not talking about like sinners in theory. We're talking about really ungodly people, really sinful people, real people who really struggle with real stuff, real people who really mess up, who break things, who fall again and again. Christ died for sinners. Yeah. And and he did it all again. Verse eight, for what purpose? To show what? His love. Show his love. Mm-hmm. So this is good news. Okay. And this news gets even clearer in first John chapter four. So let's flip there quickly and let's just see it again. Can't hear it too much. First John four, we're going to be in the last part of verse eight through verse 10. So Ben, start right there with God is love and then read through verse 10. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, oh, stop in there. Yeah, yes, perfect. Um, okay, so we've seen clearly the last couple of weeks that God's holy and just, but what are we told here about who God is in verse eight? He is love. Give, give us, I mean, Give us more on that, William. Yeah. Well, th- this is one of three times in the Bible. Well, in, in let's just take the writings of John where it says that God is something. Okay. Uh, you have God is spirit, John chapter four. You have God is light for, or first John one. And then here God is love. And um, you put those two things together and you see like God is this being where he is, he is light. He is utter purity. He is utter holiness. He is separate and set apart. 
And at the same time, he is utterly loving. Hmm. All that he is, he does in love. He is eternally loving. Um, That is not pit against his holiness. It's not pit against his justice or purity. But at the very essence of who he is, he is is love. Hmm. Um, And he isn't just love. He shows love. And that's what verses 9 and 10 tell us. And so how does he manifest his love according to verse 9? How does he show it? By sending his son into the world for yeah. us. Yeah. So that we might have what? Life through him. Yeah. Right. And just as we might, though we might live through him, which the opposite of living is, is death, which is just so clear in these scriptures. That the only way we can truly have life is through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. And Willie, one thought here is like to the listener, you know, one thing I think we all wrestle with internally is what is our purpose? Like, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And when I became a Christian, one thing became abundantly clear that my purpose was to live for Christ, for Christ to live in me. And so I didn't just have church on Sunday, but everything about my life became revolving around Jesus, what he did for me, what he wants for me, how can I live for him and show people how great he is, the hope that I have. So it became the fuel for my life. And I think that's kind of what this verse is saying, that, um, that, that we might live through him. He is the fuel for my marriage. He is the fuel for me as a father. He is the fuel and why I play golf. I don't play golf to make birdies at the end of the day. That's part of it. I play golf for the glory of Jesus Christ, not Webb Simpson. So I think this really meant a lot to me early on in my faith because I think everyone wrestles with that. You know, what is my purpose? And we want to feel purposeful. And I think that is from God. Um, But we just need our purpose to come from the right place. Yes. Yes. And for me, I used to think that I could choose God and that I, you know, Oh, if I just love God more then you know, things will be right in my life, whatever. But this verse in verse 10, it says, um, it's not that we love God, but that he loved us and mm-hmm. sent us. And it's just like, it's so helpful to understand that, that like, there's not this pressure on me to perform in a way that I have to love God. No, God loves us. And like Webb said, like that gives me, you know, like frees me up with purpose and joy in him. Yes. Let's dig into that verse 10, because if we saw in Romans 3 that Christ is our propitiation, as our wrath-absorbing substitute, shows God's righteousness. Here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here, the propitiation doesn't show God's righteousness. What does it show? It's showing God's love. Yes. In this is love. Not that Mm -hmm. we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All right. Here's what's super cool, fellas. And I just, I love, um, I love personally thinking about this and I love helping people to think about this. The cross, Christ on the cross is like a megaphone to the world about Mm -hmm. two things. Okay. It's a megaphone to the world about God's righteousness. How so? Mm -hmm. What does it scream? God is so righteous that he has to punish sin and he did it in the most, um, in in the, in the way that cost him the most. 
Yes. Perfect. And the cross is a megaphone to the world that communicates God's relentless love. How is the cross a megaphone of the world communicating God's love? Because Jesus did not need us, did not need to do what he did, but he chose to do it. That was the plan to rescue sinners from their sin for salvation with him. And he did it for us. He did it fully. Yes. Perfectly. The cross screams both. God is so holy that sin must be punished. And God is so loving that he, he will punish his own son in order to welcome sinners. It's, it's crazy. It's so good. And when it, that's personalized to us, it's like God knows you all the way. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows all the sin, all the ungodliness, all the weakness, all the brokenness. And he loves you still. Yeah. And the, and the cross proves it. Yeah. Um, y'all remember that Keller quote? It's one of his more kind of famous statements, but he says that. I know where you're going with this. You, you remember it? You might know it better than me. I was going to kind of paraphrase it. What's he say? Well, is, are you referring to you're more sinful than you could ever imagine, but you're more loved than you could ever imagine? Yes, exactly. Something like that? Exactly. Yeah. You're more, the cross shows us we're more sinful or more wicked than we could ever imagine. And we're more loved than we could ever dare to hope. Yeah, that's right. That's it. And, and that's, that's true. And the Bible just communicates that. Um, yeah. Now, when you see that, what effect does that have on your soul? So now let's just, well, let's kind of hit pause on the verses and let's just say, yeah. like, what does that do to you as a man? Here's where my mind goes is we put our best stuff forward, right? We put our best stuff out there and in trusted circles, we will be vulnerable. We will confess sins. Yes. But Jesus knows us more intimately than anyone, including our spouse. He knows the good, the bad, the, the righteous, the sinful, and yet he loves us. He knows the worst about us and he loves us the most of anyone at the same time, which should free us to, to not be thinking about ourselves all the time. We're fully loved, perfectly loved. Yeah. And how stupid is it when we act like we have it all together? <laughs> if, if, if like almighty God has spoken and says, you guys are so screwed up. This is your only hope hey. Christ on the cross for you. For me to act like I've got my stuff together. I'm like calling God a liar. You know, that's right. Hey, we got to give a shout out to Brad Payne. Brad, just, I love, uh, I love some Brad lines, but Brad Payne, he's president of college golf fellowship. Brad says, you know how I know you don't have it all together. And you know, the person will say how, and he goes, cause I read my Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It's life. Nobody's got yep. it all together. Yep. But, but nothing can make us more simultaneously humble and joyful than this news. Mm-hmm. Right. If you really see it, it just flattens you down to the ground, man. I don't stand on anything in myself, but it makes you happier than anything else. I am eternally loved by almighty God and nothing can separate me from his love. That's right. It's like Jesus said, it's like that <clears throat> it produces that perpetual spring within us. Like it's a yeah. deep joy that's not going to be cut off because our hope is in him and not in ourselves. So we can just continue to just agree with Satan. Yep. I'm a sinner, but also squashing was the same, but yeah, but Jesus has covered it all. He's done it. Amen. Amen. Love that. Um, all right. So now we got to just quickly ask, and we're just going to move one chapter ahead to first John five verses 11 to 13. What's the result of this? Like how, how, 
if somebody's driving in their car to listen to this, how do they get in on this? Mm-hmm. What does what does First John five eleven through thirteen say? And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay. So according to verses 11 and 12, how do we get in on this eternal life that God offers? You got to have the son. You got to have the son. Yep. And, and how do we have him according to verse 13? If you believe in the name of the son of God, you will have eternal life. Yes. So we believe who he is. This is why this whole time, guys, we've been looking at Jesus Christ. It's, it's far more popular to look at what the Bible says about us. It's far more popular to try to find principles for our lives, to think about who we are and what God says about me. And we're going to get to some of these places, but if you want eternal life, you start with Jesus Christ right? You believe who he is. He's the son of God. He's the great I am. He's the Christ. And you believe what he's done. He really died for you on the cross. He really bore God's wrath in our place. And he really demonstrated God's love toward us. And if we believe that we get Christ and all his benefits, we get full forgiveness. We get eternal life along with so many other things, which we're going to start looking at in August. Um, but there's one other just sweet little blessing here in verse 13 that I want to draw your attention to, especially if you've like questioned salvation. Not yeah. only do those people who believe in Christ get the life he offers, what else do we get? Verse 13. You know that you may have eternal life. Yeah. Say more about that. Um, that there's assurance, right? Like we don't know what the rest of our physical lives could be like on earth. Like, I have five kids. I hope they grow up to be 90 years old. I really do. But things can happen. Cancer, heartache, death. There's so many things on this side of eternity that can affect our lives. But this is an assurance that we know and it's certain and nothing can change that. And no one can take it away that eternal life is secured because we believe in Christ. That's right. And it's not because of work we do. It's not because of good deeds or church attendance or money given. It's because Jesus Christ, the son of God died. And when he died, he said it was finished. He paid for God's wrath in full. And after he died, he rose and his resurrection guarantees that God has accepted his sacrifice for us. And so that's, that's where we're going the next couple of weeks. But here's a question for you. As you think about this, do you have the son? Like, have you received him by faith? Have you believed that what Jesus did, he did for you? And if so, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. You, you can know that his sacrifice counted for you. Guys, it's, William and ben, it's, it's just, it's so crazy that it's that simple. It's, it's the greatest news in the history of the world, but it's hard to believe in, in, yeah. in some ways because it's like, we're just so conditioned to work, to earn right. something. But this right. is a free gift from God that, yes. he, that he has done it. He has accomplishment. And just simply by this belief, we can know that we can have eternal life. It's just, it's the best news. And honestly, I just have to keep reminding myself that it's not things I do, you know, right. I just have to keep looking at my Bible and, and I do it with just excitement that yeah. God has done it. He has accomplished it. Come on. Yeah. I have a question. I have a question for you too. 
for the listener on this note, what are some practical evidences that maybe they're new to the faith? Maybe they, they believed recently in what Jesus did that he did for them. What are some practical evidences that y'all would say in your life early on that you realize, man, I am different. Like I believe in Jesus and I can see it in my life. Um, what, what would you guys say? One thing for me is just like when I sin, I feel a weight like, mm-hmm. you know, like <clears throat> I spoke to my wife yesterday in a way that was just like not loving. And then I went to the course and I just felt like this weight, like, and I was just, and to me, that's just, that's evidence that the spirit of God is at work in me saying that's not right. And I need to go and apologize, you know, like, so yeah, I think that's one of the, the fruits God gives us is that. And, ha- and how did that go? <laughs> Buddy, it felt so, ter- so terrible until I apologize. Come on. You know? That's what I mean. How did the pot like oh, just forgiveness, grace. hug, kiss, move on. Yeah. Just grace that Come I don't. On, deserve. I love that. Right. Yeah. I think in addition to conviction for sin too, I remember the Lord gave me like a desire to really know him. And a mm-hmm. desire to read the Bible. I never cared about reading the Bible my whole life until all of a sudden this change happened to me. And I got this appetite. Like, I want to know God. And I, I know right. that this work, book has the words of life, you know? And right. same thing, like desire to like love other people for the first time. I went from being a really, really selfish guy to a less selfish guy. Um, <laughs> and like, I didn't do that. Like God did that in me mm, to right. want to love others, to want to start to obey him. You know, right. I used to not want to obey him. I used to want to get away with whatever I could get away with. And then all of a sudden something changed and I wanted to live my life to honor God. And that's, yeah. I think just because, so you know, where do you believe in the that, sun. Webby? Yeah, I think, um, I love what you guys said. Um, one thing that comes to mind is a, like a real desire to obey God, like not just to obey him because he told me to or commanded me to, but because I know it's best for me. And when I have, when I do obey him, I feel most peace. I feel most joy. And that's certainly it for me. Um, so even that desire to, oh God, I stink. I'm a sinner. I'm full of my own selfish desires, but I know honoring you today, listening to you, obeying you is far better. So I think having that desire kind of creep up in my life was like, well, where did this come from? Well, we know where it came from. It came from him. Yeah. And it's cool too. When you think about all of this is birthed out of our seeing the cross more clearly, right? Because if you think about who Jesus is and what he's done for you on the cross, you start to think no one has ever loved me this way. Right. No one has ever cared for me this way. And if he would love me this much, then surely his commands are for my good. It's worth it. It's worth it. Like I can trust yep. him, you know? Yep. Yep. All right. So all of this, all of this, this happened on the cross. It's, it's to show God's love to us. It's to extend God's grace to us for him to offer us freely forgiveness in eternal life. Um, but I think we would miss if we didn't say one more thing about the cross, Um, yes, he was killed. Yes. He laid down his life. Yes. It was all according to scripture. Yes. He was taking our place. Yes. He was extending to us his everlasting love, but perhaps most of all, 
and this is can sound funny at first, but I think it's really true biblically. Perhaps most of all, he did it for his own glory so that we would begin to see him as he really is and respond to him with the praise that he deserves. Mm. So I, I want to look at one final passage today and I want to see if we can make sense of this. Um, John chapter 17. So if y'all flip there, this is the prayer that Jesus prays on the last night of his life. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And it's filled with all kinds of good stuff. But I just, I want to look at three verses in it. Verse one, verse five, and verse 24. So y'all read one and then five and then 24. I'll, I'll get a, I'll get one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay. And then in verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. So on the night before he died, what's Jesus praying about, according to these verses? His glory. Yeah, receiving glory. Now, if we're not careful, how can this sort of come across? It can seem conceited. It can seem selfish. It can seem like he's trying to get everyone to look at him and think he's great. Yeah. But what have we seen of Jesus so far? He's humble. Um, he is right. He's perfect. Um, and this is the safest thing we could do. Okay, good, good. Yeah. All right, let's, let's talk about what glory is for a minute. When, when, um, when we talk about the glory of God or the glory of Jesus, what are we, what are we talking about? All of his goodness wrapped up. Um, into one thing. I would love to hear your definition, but I just think about all of his goodness and holiness and otherness um, so that we can look at him with honor and praise. Yeah. I, th I think you're on perfect track. I think it's like God putting himself on display, him going public, him showing us who he really is. Just think about it this way. If we're, if we're eating um, lunch in the clubhouse somewhere and Tiger Woods walks in, we can look at Tiger and say like, Dude, there's Tiger Woods. That's him. You know, mm -hmm. and, yeah, and, right, 15 majors. Yeah. Between you, you know, him and Ben, they're loaded with majors. Um, and, and so we can see the man tiger as he walks in and gets his food. Yeah. But if we're standing behind the 16th green at Augusta, when he hits that pitch shot that trickles up the hill and slowly rolls in the hole, we see like tiger putting his tigerness on display. Right. Yep. We're saying, oh, that's Tiger Woods when, right. when he goes public with what he can do. It's, it's similar with God. God always is utterly glorious. He is perfect in every way, but he goes public at certain times to put his his nature and his character on display. Yep. And he does that at the cross. It's interesting in John chapter 12. He says the hours come for the son to be glorified. So in some ways, the cross is the moment of his glory. Yeah. Now think about that. What does it look like to the naked eye, to, to the non-Christian eye? What does that moment look, look like? It looks like a criminal is dying a gruesome death for some crime he committed. 
maybe okay. the low point of that individual's life. Yes, but for the one with eyes to see, how is that glorious? What's going on? It is. He's absolutely accomplishing grace upon grace by taking all of God's anger and wrath upon himself to be the propitiation for our sins, the substitute. Yes. And never to make, a way, for, to, to make a way for us where there was no way. Yes. Never do we see holiness more clearly than at the cross. Never do we see love more clearly than at the cross. Never do we see grace and kindness and forgiveness and just the relentless pursuit of God for sinners. It's loudest there. And so Jesus is welcoming us to see his glory at the cross, but he's not just doing that. Okay. Listen again to verse 24. This is really amazing. And this is what we're being invited in on. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Mm. So what is Jesus asking the father on this night before he dies? He wants us to be with him where he is. And it's almost like, He's saying that if they see my glory, then they're going to be with me. Okay. Let me ask y'all a question. Good. I think we're all on top of this. What are some of the most, think about one or two or three of the most satisfying moments in your entire life. Like think about a moment that just like took your breath away or was utterly wonderful. Wedding day. And what about that day just did it for you? Um, literally I, I was making the decision to spend the rest of my life with the one that I love more than anyone else on planet earth. And we were doing it in a covenant relationship with each other, but a covenant before God and everyone I loved, everyone I knew, everyone that was important to me was right there with me, experiencing that moment with me. Okay. And when those doors open web and Dowd starts walking down the aisle, are you thinking about like you in that moment? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, man, I look, I look like, really good in these Kohans, man. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> I, I don't even remember what I was thinking about myself. Cause I was, I was so focused on her. I wasn't thinking about myself. Okay. Here's my point. The most satisfying moments in life are the ones where we're most self forgetful. The ones where we're most enthralled with a glory outside of ourselves. Okay. And it could be watching your wife walk down the aisle. It could be um, a a sunset, you know, as you hold your wife's hands late in the evening, whatever. It it could be standing by the Grand Canyon and your jaw dropping. It could be when you have, when when your wife has a child. I mean, there's just so many things where you're, you're just outside of yourself focused on completely on something else. Yes. And that's where our greatest satisfaction comes, our greatest joy. Now here's, here's what God knows. And here's why it's not selfish or petty or vain for Jesus Christ to say, Lord, give me the glory that I deserve. There is no higher glory in the whole world than Jesus Christ. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more wonderful. There's no treasure more valuable there's no pleasure more satisfying than Jesus himself. And so for him to be glorified and then to say to the father, father, I want them to be with me 
I want them to see my glory. I want them to be where my where I am. I want them to share in it. It's actually the most loving thing he could ever do. It's amazing. To welcome us into that covenant relationship forever. To just he doesn't come and enjoy. need us. He doesn't need us. We don't offer him anything, not an iota. He mm-hmm. wants us. Yes. I love I love Ephesians 3 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he goes on to, you know, 20 and 21. Why? For the glory of God. Mm. Yes. Yes. And guys, he's inviting us in on that. There's no higher invitation he could give. There's no greater love he could extend than say, I'm going to remove everything that stands in between me and you by sending my son to die for you. He is, it's going to be a show of the love of God for you so that you can be welcomed into fellowship with us forever. Wow. And so if you think about just where we've been the last 30, whatever weeks, we've seen like such attractiveness in Jesus Christ. We've seen such love. We've seen such kindness. We've seen such power. And now he's saying to us, Hey, why don't you come and get in on it? Yeah. It's not just for that leper. It's not just for these disciples. It's actually for you who believe in me. You can be yep. in on it too. I want you to be with me forever. And this is the comfort. I know we've talked about this before on this podcast, the comfort that kind of Dane Ortland really um, showed us so clearly in his book, Gentle and Lowly. The thing that qualifies us to come to him is our sin. So like there should be no hesitation. Like, man, I got some sin. He says, okay, come. Come, come and believe. That's right. All right. Any, any final reactions to this from you guys or encouragements from the, or for the listener? I love that. I love that ending thinking about his glory. Um, and you're right. The, the, the most satisfied I've ever been is when things are happening outside of myself and just to see Jesus in his glory on the cross, that is the greatest accomplishment in human history. Um, and the, the accomplishment was not for him. you right. It was the gift was for us. So I'm so encouraged today. Yeah. Just, there, there's, there's just nothing better than sitting here looking into our Bible, seeing what God is saying to us and us focusing on the glory of God. And he's shown it to it to us that we're, we're going to experience it forever because he's made a way for us. So there's just no better gift. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, we will turn our attention next week to the question, did he really rise from the dead? And uh, it will be fun to do that. Um, but thank you for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you've got questions about Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the social medias under the handle at Bible Caddy. We will be back next week asking, did Jesus really rise? And until then, let's get into the word and let the word get into us. Oh, oh.